What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a... basketball? I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers basketball? Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello, and welcome. I'm it's a pleasure to be back. Tim, how are you doing, buddy? It's been a long time. Thank you, Tom. I'm doing well. And and I think I think maybe the first thing we should acknowledge uh, for, for anybody potentially confused right now is this will not be the B-Ball Index podcast. This won't be the general MBA using data, um, previewing new tools and stuff that we have at B-Ball Index. This, Tom, for, for the, the longtime listeners... Um, and and speaking of hiatuses, we we've had quite a hiatus. It's been a while. Yeah, dude, it's it's been forever. Um, I I hope you've been well. I I've enjoyed. I mean, I've been fortunate enough. Nobody's been sick. Um, have have been getting through quarantine. Obviously, life's not exactly the same, but definitely a little bit more time for basketball since the last time we've spoken. I, I feel like we have a whole new arsenal of of stats to throw out there. So much more film analysis. I think both of us have had more time to just really watch and digest and analyze games this year. So I'm excited for, for what this is going to be. How have you been? I've been well. Yeah, no, I think this is the perfect time. You know, we put this together in maybe the course of like 16 hours coming back together after getting the idea and the itch, you know, and, uh, it's not that we didn't want to keep podcasting together. I think it was just that we didn't have as much to talk about. Life happens. You get busy. I went off and made a short film. And you went off and created an incredibly detailed basketball analytics site, creating stats and providing detailed animate, uh, information about players, teams, strategies. So it's been really, really fun to watch you grow. Uh, I've been very lucky to work with Pete, uh, my brother, watching the games, editing, really sharpening my basketball knowledge. And uh, yeah, like you said, we're we're not going to be on this feed. We're going to get our own feed, but that takes a little while. And we wanted to get this pod out to you guys as soon as possible. Uh, and for now, we're going to be we're going to be the Los Angeles Lakers basketball podcast, the LALBP until someone else comes up with a better name that is not taken by another Lakers podcast. Uh, so if, if our listeners out there have a have a nice Lakers word in the title a name for our show we'll you know memorially name a segment after you uh in your honor you know we're just getting our feet wet back in jumping in today so we have a lot to talk about unfortunately this is not going to be an hour of clippers slander as much as i think we both could enjoy that right now i got it out of my system two days twitter was the most beautiful place on earth for me but that's neither here nor there. Now, the Lakers have a challenge to face, Tim. A very difficult challenge. A legitimate Western Conference Finals opponent, the Denver Nuggets. So, 
there's a lot of ways we can get started with this team, but I guess what I think would be good to start with is their offense uh, for each team, pick and rolls, okay? So talk to me about the Lakers. Do you think they're going to still go big? We'll tie this into another segment with their pick and rolls. Are they going to stay with AD at the five in this series going up against Jokic? I anticipate seeing a little bit of both. Normally, the way the Lakers rotation works is they have the beginning of each quarter start by having either JaVale McGee in the first and third or Dwight Howard in the second and fourth quarters. And then for the second half-ish of each quarter, they'll have Anthony Davis playing the five. Um, or, or you might see it, it might say Markeith Morris playing the five, but when that's happening, it's really Anthony Davis at the five. I think this is a obviously a better series for both of the Laker bigs. Um, and when I say bigs, I'm, I'm talking McGee and, and JaVale. We have plenty of large players. Yes. And that's something that's helped LA be able to kind of be that Kirby and and play whatever game you want to play. We can shape shift. We can go small while still being big. We can play big and be good at be, being big. Um, right. But right now, I, I think this is a better series for JaVale. This is a better series for Dwight relative to the two of them. I think Dwight will be more important in this series. Absolutely. Particularly because of his post defense. He is still an elite post defender. Um, and, and the numbers bear that out. So based on some second spectrum data I was able to get from a source, he is he was an elite post defender this year. Whereas JaVale McGee is, isn't that guy, hasn't been that guy. And for this matchup, LA is facing the first real post-up threat that they've really had to face and worry about in an opposing team with Nikola Jokic. So I'm anticipating at least in game one. There's no one like Jokic, right? He's he's the the, the guy. Um, And even with everything Jamal Murray brings to this offense, and we'll talk about this in a second, even with his great pick and roll, what will make defending him different than how the Lakers defended Dame Lillard and shut down his pick and roll and how we uh, were able to defend uh, James Harden is the presence of Nikola Jokic. He is that little skeleton key that makes it so that you can't just double team or or send a hard hedge and have two guys on the ball and give up a four on three to Denver. Because when Yusuf Nurkic was attacking that, we were fine. Um, When Houston was attacking four on three and they're all just standing around on the perimeter, we have the athleticism, we have the quickness to get around and and the length to contest that, and we were fine. Close out and recover. Exactly. This series... Even with LA being really good at just flying around, um, and, and defense is scheme, defense is effort, and defense is execution. And we've seen the scheme be strong. The effort's usually there pretty solidly. The execution, we've seen a couple games here or there be lacking a little bit, like game one of last series. But when LA is locked in and they have all three of those going, they can just fly around. And they're one of the best scramble drill teams of anybody out there. But against Denver in a four on three scenario, with Jokic with the ball in his hands, that presents a different, unique challenge for the Lakers that will prevent them from defending uh, Jamal Murray the same way that they've defended in the past two series. Yeah, so that's what you said that I think is great, the, the four-on-three, right? But what's what's also unique about this is that Jokic is going to be the point of attack ball handler sometimes right so JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard are going to be drawn up to the three-point line and that could help that helps you know guys like Gary Harris Torrey Craig Jeremy Grant you know get some cuts and back screen on the weak side just kind of leaves the the paint a little bit more open for for those guys to get looks at the basket with Jokic at the top of the key quarterbacking you know seeing that that post route like he's gonna 
he's going to slip a screen and somebody's going to get open in the paint. So that that's a concern of is Jokic having the ball at the top of the key with McGee out there and and Murray. The thing that's so kind of unique about their two man game too is that Murray could set a screen for Jokic and force a switch that way, you know. And then you got someone like you know Rondo or, or Danny Green or KCP having to 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 guard Jokic and you got to send a double, you know. And then you got to recover on the weak side. So his his passing ability. But also Jamal Murray is a different player than what we've seen in the regular season so far. Oh, absolutely. You know, so the deadliness of his pull-up has gotten, you know, his finishing at the rim. He's just locked in right now. So I think the Denver Nuggets pose a unique challenge with those two players. But it's going to be really, can their role players, guys like Torrey Craig, can Gary Harris keep shooting well? You know, because they're going to be the guys that the Lakers force the ball into, you know, recovering on Jokic. They're going to put pressure on Murray getting you know dropping into the lane after his pick and roll so if these guys make corner threes like they did at the end of the clipper series it could be interesting but i i think the dwight howard call is especially apt too so let's talk a little bit about dwight howard specifically like so post defense you say right i also noticed i looked up you know box score hunting light perusing of the series uh in the regular season dwight howard killed them on the offensive board like got five offensive uh, rebounds in the the twelve twenty two game where LeBron was out, the Lakers lost. That was the only uh, the only time we lost to the Nuggets was when LeBron didn't play. For the record, so you know, looking at these guys, you know, box score just briefly, they contributed with a couple blocks pretty much each game. You know, solid rebounding numbers. Dwight got to the line twelve times in one game, eight times in another game. I'm not expecting he's going to play as much as he did in the regular season because you know you just play little bit different rotation in the playoffs but yeah what else about Dwight do you think how he can affect the pick and roll on the offensive end instead of just post defense like being in the dunker spot how does that affect the Lakers offense so against the way that Denver will defend and in Denver's pick and roll defense is different from what LA has seen the past two rounds um in the first round Portland really liked to pack the paint and the Laker pick and roll game was still working until they started switching. And then we got away from that pick and roll a bit against Houston. They switched everything and at least everything on ball. And that made it so that we either had to ISO or just try to attack in different ways. You weren't getting the same driving uh, situations for LeBron running off a pick, or you weren't getting those pick and pops or the pick and rolls. There were some slips that were open, but we didn't really take advantage of that as well. Um, and, and those generally aren't as available against uh, switching when you have bigger defenders out there. Um, but with uh, against Houston, they were small enough that some of those were available. And Rajon Rondo took advantage of them, but LeBron didn't. In this series, with how Denver likes to defend, um, this is a team that, if, if we just look at the different types of, of pick and roll defense, you can drop with your big man. Um, where you kind of like, you know, protect the rim, wait for that guard to come to you. This gives up that pull-up three-pointer, um, which LeBron will take, um, but doesn't take all the time. Uh, it'll give up a chance for him to get downhill. Um, it'll give up that mid-range floater, pull-up two kind of range. Um, and if they also drop, uh, that might be an opportunity for AD to be uh, rolling to the rim and, and look for some lobs if LeBron can engage the big man defender and then throw that up. You can blitz when you double 
that'll get the ball out of LeBron's hands. That'll put it in AD's hands. And then we need to attack four on three with him in a playmaking situation. They might hard hedge, which is where you, uh, it's really a catch hedge might be a better way to put it where the big man will just kind of come to the level of the screen and be there waiting for you when you try to turn the corner. So you can't Mm -hmm. quite turn the corner immediately. Uh, This is what the Lakers did against Dame Lillard, where he couldn't just go shoot a wide open pull up three pointer. Um, So you're there, but this will give up uh, the big man slipping, um, which the Lakers will use. And that's exactly what they did when they played Denver in the regular season. Whenever Denver was hard hedging, AD was getting lobs all day long. So I anticipate seeing a lot of those. Um, and then did I cover all? I think that's all the options. Oh, and then, or they could switch. Um, but if we look at how Denver likes to defend, they blitz second most of all teams. They mm-hmm. hard hedge fifth most of all teams. They've switched okay. 10th most, um, but only with specific guys. They drop. I mean, all teams primarily drop, even if, even for a team like Denver that does it 10th, I'm sorry, fifth least of all teams, they still will run drop coverage. Um, I think for the key, the key for the Lakers will it's be pretty specific, right? Yeah. It's it's personnel specific. Right. Jokic isn't going to be switching. Um, he switches maybe five percent of the time. Plumlee will switch a little bit more, but still only like fifteen percent of the time. Millsap will expect to see some double teams. Expect to see some hard hedges. Really, I think we're going to get a mixed bag. Um, and and I can understand that just because that's what Denver likes to do. That'll change up the looks for LA. Ideally. If I'm Denver, I'm trying to make Anthony Davis become a playmaker instead of letting LeBron attack downhill. Um, for the Lakers, I think one of the keys will be targeting Jokic instead of Plumlee or Millsap. Um, we're working on a uh, this, and this is a concept we haven't even talked about um, the two of us on a podcast before. Talent grades is something that we're doing at B-Ball Index, where we try to evaluate performance and try to neutralize as many contextual factors as we can to say, hey, you know, in a new, in a, a normal offense, this is how good of a three-point shooter you are, or this is how you good you are at getting to and finishing at the rim or whatever. For our perimeter defensive one, um, which we're, I, I'm almost finished up with doing the revamp, uh, Millsap and Plumlee are two elite pick-and-roll big man defenders, but Nikola Jokic is one of the worst in the league. So I would be going at him as much as possible. And bringing this back to Dwight, if Dwight's out there, Jokic will probably be defending him, and then they'll have Millsap uh, defending AD or Grant defending AD, or maybe they'll play Plumlee with Jokic, but I think they'll try to keep Jokic away from Anthony Davis. Um, So if if whoever Jokic is guarding, I don't care if it's AD, I don't care if it's Dwight, I want that guy going and setting ball screens because I think a key for this series will be attacking Jokic, um, who is in foul trouble when he's playing based on our foul trouble percentage metric at B-Ball Index, more than, I think it's 84 or 86% of NBA players. So he's in foul trouble a lot. I want to go at him. I want mm. to get him in foul trouble. I want to attack the fact that he's a really poor pick-and-roll defender. Um, I don't want to attack their elite defenders. The more that mm. LA can really throw bodies at him, whether it be with JaVale if he plays, Dwight Howard, uh, Anthony Davis, just like, I want a lot of contact. The fact that Dwight is just as forceful as he is I think will take a bit out of Jokic um in in LeBron being able to attack him downhill these are all things that will bode well for LA not just offensively but then defensively if you can really have that take a toll on Jokic um you know running up and downhill getting guys hitting him attacking him on ball 
uh, that will diminish his offense to a certain degree. You you see, like if, if it's Zubac and Montrez Harrell didn't make him pay on the defensive end in that Clippers series, so he was you know he was tired. He, you know he looks labored out there when he's he has the ball on offense and he's kind of their rim protector on defense, but. He, he was just helping off of Trez and Zubats. Like he, he can roam when he's not anyway, but I, my point, what I wanted to bring up, sorry, is why I kind of interjected is you want Jokic as the help defender and as well, like you can target him in multiple ways. So if you have Jokic guarding Dwight Howard, you can run a LeBron James, Anthony Davis pick and roll at the top and, and make Jokic step up. And then the other thing that he's not great at is mm-hmm. jumping quickly, right? He's a big dude. Skinny Jokic lives now, but he can't get up quickly. So you attack that verticality with Howard, with McGee. JaVale can do some of this too. I just think that Dwight's a little bit better at, like you said, using his strength and his leverage to kind of get under and and push him out than JaVale is. JaVale can go over the top a little bit easier, you know, but I think those guys are going to both live in the dunker spot in this series while LeBron and AD pick and roll and, and the space, the floor, and you get those little curls with KCP and McGee. I think you're going to see that play a lot too. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't seen that a ton these playoffs, but that little, you know, down screen curl for KCP and, and he throws the lob really well. So I think the verticality in this series is going to really be in I, the Lakers. Favor. I think, I agree with you. I think the vertical threats, whether it be AD or JaVale or Dwight, will be a big help to the Lakers. And like you mentioned, Jokic isn't, like, he's not Hassan Whiteside. He's he's not Rudy Gobert. He, if if he's on ball and you're engaging him in that pick and roll, he's not going to be able to get back and contest a lob if you throw it to AD or Dwight if they're the role man. Yeah, get him on his heel. Likewise, if he's defending the guy in the dunker spot, if he's out of the play completely, great. If he tries to step over and help, that gives you know that gives them that runway to run up, jump, and, and dunk on him. Um, and in the data that we have at B-Ball Index, looking at Jokic's interior defense, this is somebody who he, he's done actually a pretty good job at deterring shots from being taken at the rim. But when players have challenged him, and we compare him to other players that we categorize as anchor bigs who who spend a lot of time trying to defend the rim, he has an F grade when it comes to blocks. He has an mm. F grade when it comes to um, so so either blocks, you know, per hundred possessions or blocks is a percentage of how often he's contesting. Contest, yeah. He has an F when it comes to how well players shoot at the rim compared to what we'd expect. Players actually shoot better at the rim against Jokic when he's guarding them than we would expect against an average defender. And that's bad in general compared to players playing that defensive role. It's horrific. Um, it, that It's worse than 87%. Yeah, just really, really poor. When you compare, uh, when you look at the volume along with how bad he is contesting at the rim, the points saved that he's giving the defense is actually negative, and it's worth than ninety-eight. It's worse than ninety-eight percent of anchor bigs. So this is somebody you can go at on ball with drives. This is somebody you can go at when he's in that uh, help position. This is somebody that you can have our bigs trying to dunk over. Um, one thing that you mentioned that I agree with is Dwight being able to really bully him on the offensive glass a little bit. And and, and he's not a 6'6 Houston defender, but he, mm-hmm. when we look at how his success rate pulling in defensive rebounds and take into account how close he is to the basket, how often his teammates are boxing out, what percentage of his defensive rebounds are contested, he's actually 
underperforming a fair bit on defensive rebounds. He is not a good defensive rebounder if you challenge him. And Dwight is going to challenge him. And we've seen Dwight kill teams with this. We've seen him do it against Denver in the regular season. In his data, looking at his offensive rebounding compared to expectations, he's been very good at that. Um, and, and when he's not grabbing those boards himself, because he's such a big body and crashes so hard, you need to box him out. And that opens up the lane for other Laker players to go get those boards. So if LA does play with multiple bigs and they're challenging Jokic and they're wearing him down, I think that bodes really well for the Lakers. But one thing that you had mentioned that I don't know if I would quite go that route is I'm going to make sure that Jokic is in as many ball screens as possible. I, whether it be him guarding AD or Dwight or JaVale, because what I don't want happening is I don't want Paul Millsap in the pick and roll switching and then that shutting everything down, that taking away those lobs, any of those rolls. If you're, if you switch as a defense, you're not letting the offense really collapse your defense. And that is where you get Kyle Kuzma attacking uh, a bad closeout or Danny Green or KCP hitting open threes or Alex Caruso hitting open threes. If they're switching, that shuts all of that off. So I would pre- I would much rather prefer Nikola Jokic be in the pick and roll, regardless of who he's defending, just to make sure that they're not switching that. And then LeBron is smart enough to be able to make the right read, know when it's time for him to attack, know when it's time for him to throw the lob, um, know when he's got that pick and pop with AD. Um, so in that sense, I really would want to have a focus around attacking Denver's weak defenders, which is something that Utah did pretty well. Um, but the Clippers didn't do nearly as much as I think they should have. Okay. I mean, ultimately this is all right. A little bit of this, a little bit of spice from here, a little salt, a little pepper, you switch everything up, you season a scheme, right? And so you don't want to over season one play type because there'll be adjustments throughout. So what if the they start to pull Jokic back, you know, and they'll switch him on to someone smaller, like like not LeBron or something, but you know, maybe they put him on AD. So what do you, how do you attack Jokic if they decide to put him on Anthony Davis? How do you think that Anthony Davis and the Lakers can attack him if Jokic if they start to adjust and move him around on defense? Yeah, if they're really trying to hide him and keep him away from pick and rolls. Uh, I think there are just some quick adjustments from the Lakers perspective where you can just tr- try to keep him as the only player in the area that he's in. So he can't just point to somebody else and tell them to go take the pick and roll. Um, but if he is guarding AD, I'll have AD set those pick and rolls. Um, or if you want to attack Jokic in the post, mm. he that's another way that you can get some wear and tear on him, potentially have him accrue some fouls. If he's getting in foul trouble, maybe he'll play less. Or if he isn't playing less, maybe he'll be even worse of a defender than he currently is. Um, And he is a pretty good matchup for AD um, when we look at AD's offense versus Jokic's defense, especially with when we talk about quickness. I think AD and his face-up game will fare pretty well against against Millsap, Plumlee, or Jokic. Um, And Denver as a team, they've been a good post-defensive team. They haven't been elite. What they do... Um, against the Lakers, and, and they haven't really faced a guy like Anthony Davis yet these playoffs. When, when we talk about Ivica Zubats, we talk about Rudy Gobert, like th- those guys are top five in screen assists uh, <laughs> per 100 possessions. Those aren't post-attackers. Yep. Um, so I think looking at how Denver guarded them in the playoffs isn't what we should really focus on. I think looking at how Denver guarded AD this year is what we should uh, look to to anticipate what they'll do. And when AD attacked in the post, whether it be against a big man or a guard in a, in a most mismatch, what Denver did was they would send a double team. 
it wasn't like Houston or Portland where they just kind of had guys in the paint and like almost trying to deter you from attacking, just hoping you'll settle for jumpers. These were actual hard double teams. This gives the Lakers a a four on three away from the ball, but you need AD to be a playmaker and, and make the right pass. And I would love to see more cutting from the Lakers. If they, let's say they have a three on two on the weak side. If, AD throws a skip pass Mm. against the three on two, they'll be able to recover to that a lot better than if you have one of those three players cut to the rim. And if he doesn't take somebody with him, he's open. And if he does take somebody with him, you have a two on one weak side. And that's much harder to defend. There are less, uh, there's, there's more space in between those offensive players as long as you keep them spaced out. And, And that would be the way I would hope the Lakers would attack. So I think Alex Caruso or Kyle Kuzma cutting to the rim, leaving, you know, Danny Green and KCP open weak side, that is how I want to set AD up to succeed and having him face up as much as possible so he can see the double team coming is the other way that we'll, we'll see more success. Because when he was trying to back down Denver defenders and that help came, he would turn the ball over a lot of times just because he didn't see it coming yep. or he would turn baseline like he likes to and there'd be a guy right there and he'd get an offensive foul. Um, so I think just being aware of what they might try to do and you know setting yourselves up to succeed allows AD to still be in a prime position to either be making, you know, getting a lot of assists or if he's facing up and they're not sending a double team, be able to attack with confidence, use his quickness, use the fact that Jokic isn't a good post defender, not a good rim protector and and go at him. I think the free throws from AD and LeBron uh, are going to be crucial in this series. Like, like, like you said, putting that pressure on the rim, that's kind of where Denver's vulnerable. But yeah, something you mentioned there is that when, we do go, you know, with AD at the five. What was so phenomenal the last series and the last couple of games was was Caruso, was Kuzma cutting off ball, like LeBron finding these guys, you know, just so easily making the, the game so much easier for everyone because those are the guys that you forget about, you know? And this is stuff we talked about years ago, how frustrated we were with, with lack of action on the weak side. You know, we've gotten so much better as, at that as a team. I'm really excited to see the the small ball lineup. So I want to play a little devil's advocate here. We talked about how we're kind of, I think I'm more in the, you know, play JaVale, play Dwight camp, but a lot of people argue that, you know, the Lakers found a great success with going small against Houston and, and that Anthony Davis at the five is their best lineup. And it has been throughout the season. So how do you think about changing a a philosophy at this point that just proved to to work against a solid team like the Rockets, uh, why shouldn't we go? Sm- why should we go small against the Nuggets? I, I think we sh- so uh, on behalf of saying we should go small. I think there are a couple different things you can point to. One, you can say that when the Lakers played Denver this year, and we look at the success and the play types and the efficiency that they had when LA did go small, we saw the Lakers get more putbacks. We saw them get more rolls. Um, when the Lakers place, when the Lakers go small, they often play big because AD, you know, you take off rim protection from the other team, potentially that's really where LeBron and AD can bully people. Um, so we saw more putbacks. We saw more rolls. LA got into transition more. We were far more efficient on our dump offs and our cuts and our putbacks, just because again, there there's one defender out there. That's big for Denver instead of two, uh, Denver ran less when we went small Mm -hmm. LA's efficiency was about the same, but Denver's dropped off a cliff. Um, so I, th- I think part of that is the fact that LA that, you know, they don't have the same rim protection, but they have an extra guy out there that can rotate, fly around, execute those scramble drills like we talked about. And I think that can be beneficial. Um, 
we talked earlier about how Jokic rarely switches purposefully in the pick and roll. But if we can have AD out there as as our five and he's their five, because if we go small, they're not going to take Jokic out of the game. This is yeah, a, that's this, the thing. He's he's in the small lineup too. Yeah. yeah, this is a different series. It's kind of like Houston in the fact that if we do go small, it doesn't really impact their lineups as much. Um, it might get Millsap, Millsap off the court potentially. It might get less Plumlee out there. Um, but Jokic is still going to play. So if you do play AD at the five and Jokic is out there and he's defending AD, I think that's an easy way to prevent what we were talking about earlier where Denver might try to avoid having him in the pick and roll. Um, Because who are you going to put? If Morris is out there, I guess you can go stand Morris in the corner and get Jokic completely away from the rim and and try to turn it into a driving game. But if LeBron might be your four and AD is your five and Morris isn't out there, they're not going to put Jokic on LeBron to start possession. So. If you can get him on AD, that is going to be a surefire way to run the pick and roll on volume, and they won't be switching it. We also know that Jamal Murray isn't the most elite at getting to or finishing at the rim. He's he's gotten better at it, and he's been better at it during the playoffs than he has been in the regular season. But if uh, LeBron or Markeith Morris are out there and can kind of be on Jokic to start or be on some of these other players and switch on to Jamal Murray and hold their own against him, I think that bodes well for LA. When when playing small, like I said, they'll be able to fly around the court defensively, open up driving lanes. This is something we saw the Clippers do really well. We talked about how Jokic isn't a good rim protector, and if you get Millsap or, or Plumlee out of there, mm-hmm. the rim protection for Denver is really poor. And when the Clippers had success, they were getting to the rim. Um, it's not really something that they're the best at. They, they have a lot of guys who like Paul George can get there pretty well. Isn't a great finisher. Lou Williams is not a good finisher at this point in his career at the rim compared to how difficult the attempts are that he's taking. Um, So LA wasn't, uh, the Clippers weren't set up well to exploit that, but the Lakers are. Um, So I see that as something they'll be able to go to pretty frequently. And, you know, when we look at the Clippers Denver series, when it was three, one and Clippers had the lead big, uh, that big lead in the third quarter, it was kind of like a movie where the, the villain has that superhero down with their foot on their neck, but instead of finishing the job, they give a speech and they're talking and they're chat, you know, yeah. chirping and, exactly. and and that gave Denver the chance to get back. Yeah. Part of that is on the Clippers and and we had our days to make fun of them with them losing focus and Doc Rivers not adjusting to some simple yeah. things, but a lot of that is Denver too. And, and, you know, they've done this twice in a row, two years in a row. So we know this is a huge we know a huge piece of that is just them. Yes. They're resilient. If LA goes on a 10 nothing run to start game one, that that doesn't mean much. Um, it, they're like that, you know, call the ambulance, but not for me, meme. Um, right. So, <laughs> so but, but at the same time, there is a reason that they've lost three games in both of the series so far. They're not a perfect team. They have yeah. weaknesses. And the Lakers are better equipped than both Utah and the Clippers to exploit those weaknesses and then also hold our own against their strengths. Um, So I think by going small, we have the ability to switch everything and we'll be able to defend them better than Utah could with Rudy Gobert or than the Clippers could with uh, Harrell and Zubats. Um, And I think we can better attack their weaknesses of defending the rim with LeBron driving and attacking with AD in the post and having shooters around him. So I, I think going small has its benefits. It also has its drawbacks and we'll, you know, we'll rebound less uh, well. We won't have as many uh, lob threats. So there are different ways to look at this, but purely from a going small standpoint. Um, and again, I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm not sure if this is the way I'd want to go or not, but those would be, 
I think my key points that I would want to drill home about why it could be beneficial. What it sounds like is the answer is both, right? The answer is do both at a certain uh, degree because what you're describing earlier, right? With JaVale plays the first shift, comes out, you know, halfway point of the first, AD comes into play center, and then vice versa, Dwight starts the second quarter, and then AD comes in to close. Mm -hmm. I'm not exactly sure of what Jokic's shifts have been like uh, in the playoffs, but if you can mirror those minutes when Jokic is off the floor and play small, because Mason Plumlee isn't going to punish you in the post. You know, he's a great passer for what he is. That's how they use him in dribble handoffs and, you know, screens and and kind of you know be in that role man that can that can work in the four on three that like Jokic light but he's not going to do a ton else for you on offense you know he's really a very limited player mm -hmm. and on defense if Anthony Davis is a center he's gonna you know Anthony Davis face-up game he's gonna be able to drive right past him and they're gonna have to send someone else yeah I agree but I think yeah the answer is is going small when Plumlee, when like really make them pay, you know, when Rondo's on the court, maybe LeBron's taking a rest. They still do that pick and roll with, with Plumlee and, and um, Monty Morris. Like, are you kidding? Like, we're going to be able to get oh, either open threes or um, looks at the rim, Anthony Davis and switches. That's where we can eat when we go small. So let's talk a little bit more about Jamal Murray then, because I think we've talked a lot about Jokic, but how do the Lakers defend Jamal Murray? Do you think they'll give him the Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, you know, James Harden treatment of kind of blitzing him, getting the ball out of his hand at the top of the key and making someone else beat them in that four on three advantage? How do you think the Lakers can can mitigate Murray's impact? So I don't think the Lakers will give him that same treatment and it has nothing to do with Jamal Murray. Again, and, and we're going to keep this on Murray, but hmm. the fact that Jokic can attack those four on threes means that you just can't play that same way. You can't be throwing those double teams. You can't be sending two men at him in a hard hedge because Denver will be able to score well in four on threes. What that means for me then is really what we'd be looking at is do I want to switch the pick and roll or do I want to play drop coverage? During the regular season, the answer was drop coverage because Jokic isn't a great lob threat. If Jokic pops, he has he on the regular season was not a really good three-point shooter. He shot 31% on it was on poor shot quality, yeah. but in our we have a three-point shot making rating, which looks at your three-point performance relative to how difficult the shots are that you're taking. Um, he ended up with a D grade, but he's been shooting better in the playoffs. Jamal Murray, another guy, if you play drop coverage, you're giving up that pull three-pointer. He also had a D grade in our three-point shot making rating because he he had about average three-point percentages, but on pretty good shot quality. So those were two guys that, hey, I'm going to drop against all day. If you think that they're going to regress kind of back to the mean and, and play more like that than like, you know, hitting everything like they have been at times, then playing drop coverage would work for L.A. It would keep Dwight and it would keep JaVale in positions where they don't need to isolate, uh, play isolation defense against Jamal Murray. So that could be a way to go. And I'll keep an eye out for that because – if you go with it, it it might not work out if if uh, both of those players keep shooting like they have, or it'll be fine if if they do uh, shoot like they did for the rest of the year. The other way to go, and I think what I would primarily do, would be switch. And like I had mentioned before, Jamal Murray, he hasn't been the best at attacking in isolation and getting to the rim. So like we mentioned with LA, when you're switching that pick and roll, 
you don't have the defense collapsing. You don't have open threes for players. This is the one of the two really offensive engines, I would say, for uh, for Denver. Um, and when I say that, it's not just that they're scoring efficiently, but by doing this, by attacking with the pick and roll, they're creating offense for the Tory Craigs of the world, for uh, Michael Porter Jr., for Gary Harris. If you switch and you don't need anybody to help off of their man, then those guys aren't getting involved because they're not creating their own offense for the most part. And when they do, it hasn't been too efficient. So if you can shut down that engine the way that you have with Portland by by double-teaming and hard-hedging and against Houston by double-teaming, for, for this series, it might be switching. And what that does concede would be Murray isolations against a big. But again, like we said, he's, he's not the best at getting to the rim. And I looked at how often when he does isolate, he is creating offense for his teammates. Because some players do. He hasn't because he struggled to get to the rim. He, When you compare him with other guards that have played this season and played uh, 500 minutes or more, oh my goodness, I can't find it. I think he had a, a D grade again, um, or, or C, either a C- minus or a D when it came to getting to the rim. So if we have Dwight or, or JaVale or AD on him, I'm not as worried compared to last series uh, if, if James Harden is out there or against like someone like Kyrie Irving. Mm-hmm. He's not going to attack you in that same way. So I feel a little bit better about that. But then the thing that you concede is that Jokic post-up. So if mm. if you have Alex Caruso um, or, or KCP or somebody like that on Murray to start and then they end up on Jokic, you run into a problem. And, and I think we should dig into the Jokic post-up because that's the other offensive engine that Denver has. And not just because he's scoring, but because he's creating for his teammates. But one thing from a matchup standpoint that might help with the pick and roll when LA plays big. And I think this would be one of the reasons I would look at playing big would be that you can start Dwight Howard on Jokic and then you can start Anthony Davis on Jamal Murray, which might sound a little funky at first. When we look at the matchup data this year, AD was actually one of the most frequent defenders of Jamal Murray this season. Um, So if we start him on Murray and he's fared well, and and we know this is a defensive player of the year caliber guy, he can defend in those situations, if Murray does get to the rim, which he doesn't often in isolation, AD has the link to contest that. You also have a second big out there to contest. Um, and by having that set up and neutralizing him, if they go to Jokic, Jokic is then facing, um, or I'm sorry, if, if Murray is facing Dwight and then he gives the ball to Jokic in the post after a switch, you have AD on Jokic. And again, that's advantage LA or, or neutral. So that might be one way when you're playing big and when Jokic is the ball screener, I would be switching everything um, if I'm starting with AD on Murray. And I think that completely shuts this action down. If you have Alex Caruso out there, um, you'd have to do some tactics to try to recover from those post mismatches. If you have Plumlee or you have Millsap setting ball screens, I would be looking to hard hedge or double Jamal Murray and make him dump that ball off and make them attack four on three with a far worse playmaker than Nikola Jokic making those reads. So the thing that's really interesting, what you just said there, right, is the Lakers have, the Lakers are the biggest team in the league, right? The way we play, Anthony Davis is a five, he's playing four, LeBron James is a four playing three, and so on and so on. We don't really play a point guard, it's another guard, but that really is a strength against this team. And what the Lakers built this whole regular season, their identity of defense and and using their size with JaVale and Dwight and their verticality, putting pressure on the rim, all of that leads into the strengths of this team and the weaknesses for Denver, right? So if you can 
the thing that's crazy to me is I'm thinking about Anthony Davis on Jamal Murray and and Dwight on Jokic, like or you know you do that, and then you have LeBron James back there on the weak side is also a rim protector, right? If you put Alex Caruso on uh, Torrey Craig in the corner and he's playing the free safety, Alex Caruso is awesome at reading passing lanes, being engaged on the play on the weak side, you know. So he's going to be able to to get some deflections and steals. You know, that's what's Jokic's bread and butter too. Is when he gets that advantage, he he'll fake for the guy on the weak side so that he commits to one of those defenders and then he'll just pass it right to the other wide mm-hmm. open guy. You know, maybe he recovers and that they still have the advantage because they swing the ball so well. Denver plays so much better as a team than the Clippers did. Right. And so that is dangerous in and of itself, although the sum of the parts might not be as good. The whole is actually still dangerous team. Right. If they they're not the same team, we beat three one in the in the regular Mm -hmm. season. So, you know, they had Wancho Hernan Gomez. They had Malik Beasley playing minutes. They had um, they Will didn't Barton. have Michael Porter Jr. playing like he is. Will Barton, sorry, um, this is a different team. So we need to, you know, we're also a different team. We had, didn't have Marquise Morris, you know. Uh, I think Kuzma and Caruso weren't kind of playing to the level back then that they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's going to be really interesting for me to see that the Lakers probably go back to how they played most of the season is their big adjustment because that is their strength. That's where they're benefits lie you know when denver's when denver goes big they have a they have a 1.19 points per possession right and when you force them to go small they're at 0.91 so if you make them play big denver sounds like they're better but we are uniquely matched up to to have strengths that will mitigate their strengths right exactly Um, And, and from a matchup standpoint so you can't just if you just play big and run a vanilla game plan you're not getting the same advantage that you could by having AD take Murray, Howard take Jokic, and then you can, like you said, LeBron is big. Uh, we have other players, Danny Green, pretty big. We have guys that are long and tall for their position. LeBron, go guard Paul Millsap. And he's not going to beat us, you know, he's not going to beat LeBron one-on-one in the post. He's not going to be doing much against him. So LA is positioned well enough that even if Denver has a second big man out there, and if it's Plumley. Like you said, he is not a post scorer. If we look at the 49 players who have had at least 75 post scoring possessions this season, he is second to last in efficiency. Just he is not adding any value yep. there. So you can, you can, hell, the Clippers put Patrick Beverly on him at times in this past series. You can, stick, <laughs> you can stick anybody, anyone LA has can guard uh, Plumley. And I'm not really scared about him attacking them in the post. And if he is, then great. Like, that that is a position that I feel comfortable with as a Laker fan. But but as I'm saying, LA has the ability to mix and match these these matchups. And I think just the key is keep somebody on Jokic that he can't abuse in the post. Keep somebody on uh, Murray that's either a guard that's strong or Kuzma may, might be able to stick with him um, because Murray is more of a tactician than more of a forceful player like Russell Westbrook is so I think Kuzma would be able to stick with him and AD would be able to stick with him so either of those two players if they do end up switched onto Jokic in the post I still feel pretty good about myself um and and when we look at when we talk about offensive engines like we said it's it's good offense but then creating offense for others you can have a car with all these great I don't know I'm not a car guy Mike Garcia is laughing at us right now but (laughs) you, you can have all these cool features 
But if your engine isn't working, none of that other stuff matters. You're not going to win the race. If you can stop Denver's offensive engine with the pick and roll by switching and then the Nikola Jokic post up, this offense won't work. And LA will make this a, a 4 nothing series. Um, but when we look at what Jokic generally does in the playoffs, Denver has scored 63 points with Jokic in the post as a scorer. And they have scored 62 points with Jokic in the post as a passer. He is the number one guy by far this season in terms of the points generated from his post pass outs by just a wide margin. And actually, LeBron is second and AD is third. But he, uh, this isn't just, you know, dump it off to him and he's a black hole. He is going to be creating for his teammates. They cut a lot. This forces your off-ball defenders to pay attention and be in position. You, you can't have guys ball watching and falling asleep or they're going to get open shots at the rim. They're going to get three-pointers. So this is really, you need five-man defense. But when we're defending Jokic, and we actually saw him, you know, eat up Utah, just barbecue chicken. He scored 1.4 points per possession in the post against Utah in round one. In round two against the Clippers, he scored less than half that efficient. He has scored 0.65 points per possession, which is nuts. But he was passing out so frequently because they were sending double teams at him that it still ended up working out for, for Denver. So if you can not double him, but keep somebody big on him, great. If you do have a mismatch on him, when you do double him, what Denver likes to do is what I described earlier that LA could do if AD gets doubled, where if they have three guys weak side, they're going to send one on a cut. They're going to stick the other guy in the corner and they're going to stick their third shooter. Instead of standing next to the guy in the corner and letting you zone up and play two guys really easily, they'll kind of slide him up. They'll lift him up that wing to make that one defender as stretched out as possible. They do this all the time. It is their go-to. LA should absolutely be prepared for this because this is literally what they do all the time. If he's facing up, you can't send those double teams because they'll beat you with that over and over and over again. And this is something the Clippers didn't really adjust to. But if the Lakers double team, what you really need to do is if Jokic does face up, you have to get him in his face. He wants to either pass it off or he'll shoot that jumper. If you get in his face and make him put the ball on the ground, he's much less efficient. The other thing is if he's backing down Alex Caruso and you send a second guy to help, that cutter is going to be coming. So instead of sticking with the double team, I would be double teaming for half a second just to get Alex Caruso out of there. So like have LeBron run over, you know, tag team, Caruso, you're out, I'm in, I'm guarding Jokic. Caruso knows that a cut is coming. The two weak side defenders can stick with the two weak side shooters leave that cutter open because Caruso knows he's coming and then he can leave Jokic and go disrupt that pass. That is how I would look to defend Denver because they're very choreographed. They do this every single time. So being ready for that and defending it in that way is what you need to do because if you just do these soft doubles, he's he's too tall. He can just pass right over that and they're so choreographed that he can make these passes really without even having good vision. Yeah, see, that's the thing is that's what I was going to say is the issue with kind of that soft or, you know, that, that retreating double is that there is a window there where, you know, he can just pass right over Alex Caruso and they have a good timing on their cuts where they always give Jokic an angle to kind of have that outlet. You know, and then they swing the ball to to keep that advantage for you know someone like Murray or Jeremy Grant to attack the the rim off of a closeout. But something that Jokic, so Jokic, ninety ninth percentile in post up impact on on your player you know in, uh, profiles. If you look at his his post uh, his post play, he's very impactful. But I almost would rather him 
stay one on one and and we switch on the weak side some of those cuts you know play ball denial and then make make him take those mid rangers like i don't think he's going to be able to back down Travail McGee or Dwight Howard or Anthony Davis he's a strong guy but i i think you make him be the scorer right mm-hmm. that's kind of where he can fail sometimes is and this might be an issue for Denver in general is scoring against this defense and just how can they get 110 points a night you know what I mean? Yeah. How are they going to get that every night against this defense? Because that's probably about the number it's going to be. Yep. So Jokic is going to have to score twenty five a night, right? At least. And he needs so to make him be the scorer. He can. I'll, I'll get him. I'll give him twenty five a night in the post yes. if he's doing it one on one and he's not, you know, getting. If if he's scoring a point per possession, that's a hundred a one hundred offensive rating. With how good the Lakers are offensively, that will not win Denver the game. Um. So yeah. you don't yes. need to sh- not four out of shut seven. this down. All you really need to do is, like you said, he's a great post score. He has a great post impact. Make him be that scorer. Against Utah, his ratio of yep. scoring possessions to pass outs uh, that led to a shot were 1.3 to 1. That is what I want. Versus the Clippers, it was one scoring possession to every two pass outs leading to a shot. And those pass outs leading to a shot are wow. for open threes or for cuts to the rim. So... If you don't have a, if he doesn't have a mismatch, do not let him pass the ball out to those cutters or to those shooters. Make him play one on one, and I feel confident in our post defense. I worry right. about Javale McGee; he's not as good of a post defender. But Howard and AD, I feel good about. If we do have that mismatch, and and they do try to run that cut because they're sending that cut right to the rim, which is where you know we'll, we'll use Alex Caruso again. If he is waiting for LeBron to come to him and then is is switching the offensive players coming right to Caruso. So because that's slow developing, I think as long as LA does it quickly, they'll be in a decent position to either force a skip pass where we're ready, or ha- if he passes to that cut, Caruso's already there and he can take that charge or disrupt that pass, play those passing lanes like you said. So that tactic I think will work. And if he doesn't have a mismatch, don't send a double. If he's facing up, don't send a double. Um, get in his face, make him be a one-on-one scorer. And that turns this offensive engine into just a nice fancy feature on the car that it's not going to win Denver the game. It might look good. He might have a nice stat line, but it's not going to win them the game. Yeah, absolutely. So we've talked a lot about Jokic, Murray, LeBron, AD. Are there any other X-Factor players you see in this series making a a major difference either way for better or worse? Yeah, for sure. Because I know I have a few. Yeah, I'll I'll start with uh, Mason Plumlee. He is the one key guy yep. for Denver that because of his playmaking, he can be that third offensive engine almost in a way. He doesn't shoot threes, so teams sag off of him pretty frequently. So what he does is a lot of what Yusuf Nurkic does. And I think playing Nurkic has prepared LA for playing Plumley because what Nurkic is really good at and what Plumley's really good at is standing there while you sag off of him and letting them do their off-ball screening and cutting and you know, they'll run split cuts, they'll run back screens, they'll run cross screens, they'll run all of these different things so he can try to make those pinpoint passes. And he's good at it if you give him space. If you get in his face, that volume drops off precipitously because he just isn't able to make those passes. He won't have the same vision. So if you can disrupt him the way LA did in games two, three, four, and five against Nurkic, I'm not as worried about that. But if you let him play his game, that's going to be a third form of offense for Denver. And and we know they love to cut, and we know he's a really good passer. So that is one key thing with him. 
Um, and then another way, similar, also similar to Nurkic, that he gets a lot of his assists are coming off of handoffs. So if he has the ball, nobody's open, he will dribble at Jamal Murray or at Michael yep. Porter Jr. or whoever yep. and just flip them that ball and then set a screen. It's almost a pick and roll in a way, but it lets Murray, yep. if you go under that, he'll shoot that three and it's kind of, you know, he has his feet set. He's not off of a live dribble. If you go over, he'll just, you know, go around the corner. He'll try to turn that corner. And odds are you don't have your big man in position to hedge that a lot of times just because it's not the normal pick and roll setup. So remember how before we said he's not going to beat you post as a post scorer, he's not going to beat you off the dribble. I would be taking a really close hard look at sticking a smaller player on uh, Mason Plumlee. One, to get in his face and really up in his body when he's trying to play make, but two, when he does those handoffs, to just be able to switch immediately rather than needing to worry about uh, Murray or, or someone else being able to attack off of those handoffs. And Jamal Murray has the most handoffs of any player in the league this season, um, and he's been pretty efficient, and he's been more efficient than 95% of NBA players during the postseason. So if you can take that away by switching that, um, by already having a small guy on there, I think that bodes well for LA. If you do have a big on him, I would love to have that big man kind of step out and not let uh, Murray turn the corner um, while your your guard kind of goes under a bit and tries to meet him on the other end. And then you just stick with, uh, stick with Plumlee with the big. So just a very temporary, I'm going to stick my hand up, get in your face, don't let you shoot the three while our, our guard goes under the screen and then I'm going to recover back to Plumlee. So there are things LA can do if they do them right I don't see Plumlee as being a huge X factor, but depending on how the Lakers defend him, he can either be a really big plus for the Denver offense or a pretty big minus because he can't shoot. Then he's not playmaking. He's, you know, he might get some offensive rebounds, but if you can take him out of the game completely while you shut down those other two actions, again, this is just piling on and building up that big edge that you're just going to need incredible uh, elite shot making from Denver to be able to make up for all of those small schematic and hustle and execution things that the Lakers do. Um, so he could possibly be a big X factor for them, but only if the Lakers play him in what I would consider the wrong way. Okay. So another guy I think was, is crucial to this in, in, in a slightly different way, but we'll talk about his shooting as well is, is Jeremy Grant. So, Jeremy Grant, to me, is an, an interesting player because so in your index right here, so second on the team in perimeter shooting, 79th percentile, and he's third on the team in three-point shot making, right? They really, in your percentiles, they've got three quality, quality above average three-point shot makers. And Jamal Murray is lower on that, but, you know, it's I think, is that because of, the types of shots he he takes murray that's be, so that one is looking before the playoffs so the, this is okay murray right, right, and Jokic right. are both guys that on the regular season they weren't making like they weren't yeah. great three-point shot makers but in the playoffs they've been much better but grant has has just been really good on the season yeah no so so grant's important to me because this is the x-factor guys right um the guys who if they make three threes in a game you get a 10% boost in your win probability, right? Like I, I've been watching this postseason and I count like every Alex Caruso, KCP, Danny Green made three to me is like 3% in win probability because 
those like to me like those are like the swing votes you know Mm -hmm. those are the small margins that like yeah lebron's gonna get probably 25 10 and 7 ad's gonna get 30 10 and you know maybe four assists or something that's gonna happen maybe they get 40 maybe lebron gets 15 but if danny green has you know 12 points on three for six from three like that's major you know that's so those so i think the same for this this nuggets team right jeremy grant can can be a guy who can give Anthony Davis issues because he's a little bit more mobile, make Anthony Davis use his strength in the post instead of his face-up game. Uh, and AD can still shoot right over Jeremy Grant. I'm not worried about that. But Jeremy Grant is a swing player who, if he can make shots and if he can defend AD and, and, and just give him a little bit of an issue, this becomes a lot more interesting of a series. And the margins get a little bit slimmer there to me if Jeremy Grant is really good for them this series. Yeah, I think that's a good name. And, and on the Lakers side, I think two of the guys that I would look at would be Dwight Howard and Markeith Morris. And really, it's the big or small mm-hmm. argument. And, and really, like we, we can say, hey, yep. going big might be better. Going small might be better. But the material, if that materializes or not, will depend on how the teams play in those situations and how these individual players perform. With Dwight Howard, if you're playing big and he's locking Jokic down in the post or, or enough that you don't need to send help and he's not getting those pass outs, if he is a lob threat, if he's killing Denver on the boards, and if he's protecting the rim, those are great Dwight minutes. Um, if he's being blown by by Jamal Murray, um, and he's not defending Jokic in the post like we'd like him to, then you might look more at playing small. And on the opposite side of things with Markeith Morris, if he is able to defend Jokic in the post, that changes everything for this series to me. Um, and, and on a small sample, LeBron and Markeith Morris have been really good post defenders this year, but Jokic is a different animal. So I'm not necessarily expecting that, but if it is something that we leave game one by thinking, I think that would change the way I'd approach the rest of the series as LA and consider playing small a bit more. And the other thing with Morris is, can he defend Murray on the perimeter? Um, Cause it, I mean, if he can't defend Murray on the perimeter and he's not defending Jokic while in the post, why not just have Kyle Kuzma out there in that same sort of position and play big more, knock more side of the rotation and have Kuz playing some more of those uh, small ball, larger guy minutes like he did in previous years. So there's upside with both options, um, playing big or playing small, but two of those X-Factor guys that'll help determine some of that are Dwight Howard and Markeith Morris. And then, like you mentioned, you know, every Alex Crusoe made three is is found money um, in, in almost in a way. So yeah. those sorts of the shot making from both teams will be another critical factors of the series. So so let's let's do this. Let's try and give people something tangible to look for in this series from Markeith Morris and Dwight Howard, at least on our side. So what would what would be an indicator that these Dwight minutes to you are working? Because to me, it's the offensive rebounds, right? Yes, the defense is is important there, but he's going to be a positive on defense. And I, th- I think no matter what, right, as long as he's not over fouling and, and complaining to the refs, it's how can he be that two-way advantage, not just a one-way advantage? Because he can get played off the floor if he's a one-way advantage. So how can he, you know, offensive rebounds, putbacks, if he gets a couple putbacks, if he gets a couple, you know, lobs using that verticality, I'll know right away, this might be a short series, you know, and but so how do you feel like from Markeith Morris, what's a tangible play or an action that if uh, if someone in the audience saw today, they'd be like, oh, man, this Markeith might 
really be killing him, you know? Yeah, he's a little bit different because I expect offensively less activity from him. He, on offense, is more of a stick him in the corner, remove rim protection, which doesn't have as much value in this series, but stick him out there. He is a floor spacer. You have Moores playing so that you can open pass, you can open driving lanes and open the paint for Anthony Davis in in LeBron James and post up. Defensively is where I'll be paying attention because that is where we will see whether or not he is being a plus for the Lakers or a minus for the Lakers. And to me, that comes down Mm -hmm. to how is he defending Jokic in the post? Um, Because again, if he can, hey, play small more, open the paint on offense, and then you're not losing as much defensively. If he's not able to do that, then I think we'll see a lot more Dwight Howard and we'll see more JaVale McGee than we did last series. So that would be the one tangible thing I would look for. Um, and then I guess for Dwight and Morris, like how well are they able to defend Jamal Murray in space um, would be the other mm. smaller factor, but but something worth watching as well. All right, man. Uh, we're about an hour mark here. Do you want to get to predictions? So what do you think? What what's your What's your gut telling you? I see this one as in in my if anyone hasn't read it already, go check my pre series article. We discuss I discuss some of these similar points and dig into some of the numbers and I have some videos and all that. What I wrote in there was Lakers in four or five, but if you had to nail me down to something to to go make fun of me in a week, I'll say Lakers in four. Um, but the more I talk about this, the more I I don't know if the Lakers do everything I would love them to do. I see this as Lakers in four. If it takes them a little bit to figure it all out and in game one is a feel out game and leaving game one, we say, oh, okay, we should be playing big or we should be playing small. And this is how we're going to double or not double the post. And here's how we're going to defend ball screens. If we lose that game, but we fi- we learn those lessons, I still feel good about Lakers in five. If we win that game and we learn those lessons, I see Lakers in four. So I, I, my gut wants to tell me to say Lakers in five to give myself a little room for error, but I feel really good about this series. I think we match up very well. I think we are a unique challenge to Denver in a way that they did not see with either of the first round teams they played. And in both of those series, they barely won. Um, So I I think the Lakers should, if not in four games, in five games, um, I I think LA will run away with this one. I'm inclined to agree. My official pick is Lakers in five because I I do think that this team is talented and has enough shot making to really be dangerous one game, especially if you can lose focus up 2-0 or 3-0. You know, I think it's easy to to drop a game in those circumstances and and still be locked in. But, you know, you just really got to – the Lakers have shown that they got to kind of get their back up against the wall at least early a little. So they might get down early in this and be a slow start, but – that that's kind of been our mo all season. I I think Lakers in five. I'm I wouldn't be surprised by a sweep. I wouldn't be surprised by six. If it goes seven, something's going wrong with us. Like something for real. Like if it gets to six games, even I might be a little concerned. Yeah. If we get to six games, we're, we're going to be on this podcast, and I'm going to be yelling at Frank Vogel probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And shouts to Vogel. He's done quite well in this playoffs. I've been impressed with him, and you know I think it's not easy to 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 bench Dwight and JaVale and shouts to those guys for taking it well. Mm -hmm. But this team's been locked in. They're playing together. They're playing their brand of basketball and they're not, you know, 
they're going to have a challenge with this team. Let's we spent this whole pod, right? Talking about how good Murray is, how good Jokic is being objective about the data, the numbers, and we're still picking Lakers in four or five. Yeah. Right. But, 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 and that, but and that's, there's a reason. What for are that. the things do you, do you have any thoughts on what are the things that Denver could do? If we, if we say, you know, LA tries to play everything correctly, but what are the things that Denver might be able to do to push this series a bit further? I have a couple thoughts. I'm wondering what you're thinking. So to me, it's all about Jamal Murray. Um, and Jokic is going to be incredible. He's going to make all those supporting players better. Um, but, you know, we see Jamal Murray go 13 points in one playoff game, and then he scores 50 in back-to-back games, you know. And those that point of attack that without Avery Bradley, uh, Lakers are a little, you know, we've been scheming it well to contain guys like Harden and, and Dame and CJ together as a team. But if you try to stay home on on Jokic and make him beat you scoring, you know, he could free up some space for Jamal Murray to me. If if this guy is worth that contract, if this guy is a, a, a an all NBA player, like he's been this last month, you know, you never, you never know. Those guys can beat you almost by themselves with Nikola Jokic, getting other guys open, making other players better. He, he raises the tide for them, and but it's on Jamal Murray to me to be a superstar if they have any chance in this series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if he's able to shoot the way that he has in, in the playoffs and not in the regular season, that, that for both him and Jokic, we've kind of seen peak capability from both of them, and, and yet they've been pushed to seven games in both series. So if either of them fall back to earth to what they were doing in the regular season... I don't feel good if I'm in their position. Um, one thing that I think they can try to do is turn this series into, I, I think this is going to be an Anthony Davis series one way or the other. Um, as long as LA mm-hmm. is attacking the way I think they might. Um, LeBron will have plenty of driving lanes and, and he'll obviously have a gigantic impact as well. But AD, whether good or frustrating, I think will be a big piece of this series. If I'm Denver, I want to try to make it a frustrating series by sending double teams his way, by switching the pick and roll and then sending help when he gets to the post um, and doing whatever I can to try to make him a passer. He is a good passer. He's one of the top three, uh, or I'm sorry, I think he's, oh man, what is he? Two of, two of the top three playmaking bigs in our playmaking talent grade are Jokic, number one, and then Cat is two, and then Plumlee's three. But AD isn't far behind. But making him have to consistently make the right pass, force LA Mm. to have the right cutting or motion off ball, Um, just kind of bank on doing that same scramble drill the Lakers tried to do the past couple rounds and either forcing LA's role players to need to be able to to attack closeouts. Like if Danny Green or KCP needs to be attacking a closeout and attacking the rim or attacking for mid-range, I feel pretty good if I'm Denver. Um, If Markeith Morris needs to be attacking off the dribble, I feel pretty good. So if you can... Double team AD, stick on LeBron, force the other three guys out there on the court to beat you. I think that that'll bode well for a guy like Hal Kuzma, but for some of the other Laker players, that would be more of a weak area of their game. You you really want to take LA out of their game plan A and put them to their plan B and C and D. Um, and I think the Lakers are anticipating being able to being able to run a lot of pick and roll and attack a bunch off of that. So if you can switch that, change the game, even if your personnel isn't the best for it, it might at least muck things up a little bit and then be sending those double teams to try to help yourself out. Um, so I don't know. I, I see that as one way to do this um, on ball screens. You can also 
double team LeBron or hard hedge and make AD have to be a, a short roll playmaker. Um, so I think those are the two ways, either in the pick and roll, make AD the playmaker or in a post up, make AD the playmaker. Um, switching is an option they have, although I guess switching would give LeBron a mismatch. So uh, maybe hard hedging and, and double teaming would be the way to go. So that's the one big thing I can think of more like stylistically, how would we prefer the Lakers to play? You know, make the role players creators, make AD the scorer, mm-hmm. a passer, try to take LeBron out of the game plan. LA will have to be focused. They'll have to make the right adjustments. And if you can make LA adjust, I, I think that puts you in a better position if you're Denver. Frank Vogel has been excellent this year. He has done a really good job defensively with adjustments in each of the rounds that we've seen. Offensively, he's not that same elite adjuster. So if Denver can throw some creative things defensively at the Laker offense, that might buy them a quarter or a half or a game before the Lakers make that quick adjustment. So that's what I would look to do. Even with all of that, I don't think Denver will be able to pull off the series. Um, But I think that'll be the difference between this being four or five games or maybe five or six or potentially even seven. Yeah. The long and short of it is that that Denver's a really talented team, but that the the Lakers are uniquely matched up to you know, adjust to their strengths. And it's really tough for Denver to do that to the Lakers. Like, you, that's a great plan. I, I would, you know, I might just redact that until the game's over, <laughs> if you're okay with that. Yep. So that no Denver, you know, people get any ideas. No, they're they're smart guys. Mike Malone is, is shouts to them. They, they fought, they're fighters. I, lo- I appreciate it because he's from New York and he's got that attitude. My dad's from New York, so... I just kind of appreciate like a no bullshit kind of attitude from him. And he's just talking trash. You know, I, I, I like my Malone quite a bit. Yeah. So they do such a good job. It'll be a challenge. They, they, yeah. They're, they're a talented team. They, they play together. X's like, and O's. They hustle. They're resilient. They make the most out of the guys that they have. They use Jokic, not just as a post score, like a lot of teams might, but they, he's a good passer. So they turn him from, you know, good assist from the post from just having guys stand around and demanding a double team to elite post assister by having the right cutting in motion. The pairing of Murray with Jokic, like we mentioned, it's different from defending Dame or defending Harden just because you have that guy as your safety net. It's almost like in baseball where you have uh, that safety behind a really good hitter, so you don't want to walk him because you've got another really good batter right behind him. You can't hard right. header double Murray because then you have Jokic right there. Um, so I think they're well-constructed. I love the X's and O's they run. I love the fact that they turn Plumley, a guy who can pass well, can screen well, can't shoot for shit, and isn't a post scorer, but they're able to put him in pretty much an optimal situation for him to succeed. Um, so I, I really I love everything that they're doing, but the Lakers are a way tougher matchup for them than either of the past two rounds, and you need their two key players to continue performing just out of this world, which... I'm not sure we'll continue. That's going to be exciting, man. Lakers are in the Western Conference Finals for the first time since 2010. And, man, it's ex- it's exciting to be back with you, Tim. I, time has flown by. It's been 70 minutes already. <laughs> and I feel like we should wrap it up soon. But that just means we haven't even talked that, you know, anything about the last round. We, we just coming in hot, giving you content right now. It'll be relevant. But we got to come back soon, react to game one talk a little bit more about the adjustments that we can do. You know, maybe we'll talk about Boston if they lose again, because why not? But, you know, 
that's a fascinating series to look at too, Miami-Boston. It's not what anybody picked before the season, but there's also a reason those two teams are here instead of the Bucks mm-hmm. and, and the Raptors, you know? So this has been exciting, man. Do you have anything else to kind of toss in? Any, any, any more game one thoughts you want to get off before, uh, before this goes on the record? Oh, man, I, I think I covered just about everything. Like you said, we talked for 70 minutes. Feels like the old times. Uh, we're not going to do any two-hour yeah, podcasts, man. hopefully. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel good. It's great to be back. I listened to the first, like, three minutes of our very first podcast together the other day. And we're just sitting there laughing, like, oh, man, this guy's so nervous. This is so clunky. Tom's doing a great job. Yeah, dude. All these stats that were thrown out that, like, I don't even use anymore. Um so I don't know. Right. I'm excited for for where this will go. I think that as the series progresses, we'll certainly keep everybody updated, be breaking down not just, hey, these teams performed well or didn't perform well, but what is happening to make them perform the way that they are? Because I think that's the most interesting thing to me. And in covering that chess match, looping in some of that data, we have so much to cover, so much to introduce, so many cool stats that this audience from from the Taking Charge days just hasn't even heard before um so i'm i'm thrilled to be back uh we'll we'll have to figure out what our podcasting schedule looks like but um i'm i'm excited and oh and really quickly i'll say i think the that miami is a better matchup for the lakers than boston we can cover that next time because that'll be another 15 minutes um but if you want to root for somebody root against the celtics um which shouldn't be yeah it's easy it's funny because you tweeted something out about that that one of these two teams is a markedly better matchup for the Lakers, and I immediately thought it would be Miami because I, I don't know, you know, you're plugged into the data. You're I, I'm watching the games too, but it's it's me. I'm, I've always been I hashtag I test uh, POV. You know what I mean? Bouncing my ideas off of you, just kind of to feel at you out and what your data says versus what I'm seeing, and and to me, like we. Miami's a different team than when we played them in the regular season, but we matched up well against them. And yeah, I don't get me wrong. I want to see Boston lose at our hand, but it'll be funnier. Let's not give all these young guys finals experience. Let's let's step it back a little. Okay. You know what I mean? Let's let's so. keep their happiness to what was it? The 08 title that has yeah kept Doc getting all these great opportunities oh, and put Paul Pierce on TV, all these things. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll talk again we can do another hour on that yeah. but we'll, we'll it is cool. we'll jump on <laughs> it's so funny man you really hate to see it <laughs> all right y'all we are for now the lakers oh sorry dude we got a few oh also yeah so again we'll plug it quickly if anyone has a great lakers themed name ideally it has the word lakers in it so if somebody looks us up they can find it um but definitely something lakers themed because what what are we we are the kind of like Ohio State we are the Los Angeles Lakers basketball podcast. That's us. You'll you'll catch us next. The time. LALBP. Heck yeah. Yeah, you know me. Go Lakers. All right, guys, we're gonna get out of here. We'll see you next time. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns, legends whose four way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.